And go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, one of the biographies of Jesus here, <clears throat> starting in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Dave. You can be seated. Well, again, good morning. It is good to worship together. Um, and if you're new with us, uh, this is what we typically do is we preach through books of the Bible, and uh, we are making our way through First and Second Samuel. Uh, but at the beginning of every year, uh, we pause. We pause for a foundational whole life discipleship series, and, and this year is, is no different. And, and this series is called uh, Glory and Good, and we've, we've been there for three weeks now. And the heart behind this series is to begin to understand, begin to articulate, begin to um, wrap our, our, our uh, finite, not infinite, finite minds around the glory of God. And, and I said in week one that the glory of God is one of the most complex things we can try to grasp as disciples and followers of Jesus. It is not concrete. You can't point to this or that one thing go, okay, that's the glory of God because the glory of God is the sum total of all God's attributes, right? They're all glorious and all his action and activity. So you, you read your Bible and you see an attribute of God. You see an activity of God, Old Testament to New Testament. That is God's glory on display, and then as disciples, and we looked at uh, John chapter 17 that first week, and this is Jesus, right? God himself, the son of God, going, okay, what is my purpose? Father, in my prayer to you, my purpose for being here was to what? Glorify you. And so if that's Jesus's purpose, then guess what the purpose of all things, including us, is? The glory of the Father, the glory of of God. Now, after a couple weeks spent there, we talked last week about the posture, the necessary posture of a disciple still working on some hard work right there. And, and what did we see from the scriptures? The necessary posture of a disciple is what? Humility. A posture of humility. God will not interact with the pr proud. In fact, God says, I oppose the proud and give grace to the what? Humble. And so as disciples, what does it look like to walk in humility? And so as we transition this week and, and next week into more of the uh, tangible, the practical ways by which we live as whole life disciples, um, it is all around the heart of glorifying God and walking in humility. And today I want to briefly talk to you about a, a spiritual discipline or a habit of grace, if you will, that is necessary for a disciple who's going to be walking in humility. And you probably picked it up from our scripture reading in, in Matthew chapter 6. You also probably picked it up from uh, an email I sent out this week uh, sharing that this coming week, Monday through Friday, is our, our church's annual week of prayer and fasting. And so this morning, I want to briefly talk to you on the topic of fasting. Now, we've talked about spiritual disciplines a lot here before. We've talked about them in our praxis groups and, and as we gather around in, in our gospel communities. But I want to laser in on this practice of fasting. Now, when I say the word fast to you, what comes to mind? Just think about it. Maybe when I announce, hey, we're going into a, a, a week of, of fasting and prayer, what, 
what thoughts, what feelings are, are conjured up? Um, we've quoted this author quite a bit, but uh, one author who, who we love around here, around the spiritual discipline, says that God is not looking for smarter people. God is looking for deeper people, deep people. And one of the ways that we deeply fall in love with Jesus, one of the ways we deeply follow Jesus is by submitting to the practices he gives us. And one of those that drives us to our knees in humility, I'm convinced, is fasting. And so I want us for a second, no matter what emotions, no matter what thoughts came to your mind around fasting, I want us to talk about it. I want us to look at the scriptures in Matthew 6, and, and I realize that some of you in Anytime I've ever talked about fasting or preached on fasting, I'll get those who, who will come to me and say, well, Kyle, Jesus never commanded that we fast. And that's right if you're looking at a cursory reading of the scriptures. You say, well, I, Paul didn't pick it up that much, right? Actually, in the New Testament, it's a little bit silent. We'll see a little bit in Acts. But as we saw in Matthew chapter six, and keep your Bible open there because I want to look at it, I think there is a... a, a uh, almost a assumed idea that those who are following God are fasting. Now, in Jewish culture, at minimum, they were fasting once a year. And Jesus picks up here, and remember last week I talked about repeated phrases when we look in the text. Look at Matthew 6. Uh, there are a couple things repeated, but one of the things that stands out is in verse 16 and verse 17. Jesus, out of his mouth, says this. When you fast, he doesn't just say that in verse 16, but then he doubles down in verse 17, and he goes, but when you fast again. So there's this already preset belief in Jesus that he's talking to an audience that understands that they are fasting. Now, let's, let's get an understanding about what biblical fasting is, because for some of you, fasting, maybe you just equate it with like some faddish diet. You equate it with a, maybe a, a, a medical procedure because fasting is not necessarily exclusively Christian. There are other world religions that fast, but what is exclusively Christian about biblical fasting is this, the point in why we fast, the reason by which we fast. We don't fast for dietary reasons. We don't fast so that it cleanses us. The point of biblical fasting is actually feasting, feasting on the presence of God. John Piper, he says that fasting is a whole body experience of God. We cannot see that fasting is simply abstaining from food. It's not simply abstaining from food. That, if you were simply abstaining from food, that would actually be a diet. We, in a biblical fast, as a community... We are denying ourselves food to hunger for God more deeply. That is the point of biblical fasting. Not to impress God, not to impress one another. It is to hunger more deeply for God. That is the point of a biblical fast. Now, just some practical things up front. When, I, when I'm talking about a fast, fast here, I'm talking about um, not eating, drinking water only, right? That's what I'm talking about. And we're entering into a corporate time of fasting coming up. And that we're not saying, hey, this is five days, this is three days, this is one day. What we say here is do one more level up than what you're comfortable with. Right now, if you're like, I could give up lunch every day, maybe it's two days. You say, well, I fasted one day before, maybe it's three this year. 
But I want to begin here again in Matthew 6. And this is actually the first time that Jesus speaks about fasting is here in Matthew chapter 6. And the first thing that Jesus says um, about fasting is how not to do it. Isn't that kind of interesting? It's like, okay, like when you fast, don't do this, right? What's the point of fasting, right? Well, I already already shared a little bit of the, the purpose, but you need to understand the point of fasting is right there. God's glory. If you don't get anything else out of this series, right? It's about God's glory. It's about his glory and our good. That is the point of fasting, that we would feast on his presence more deeply. But Jesus understands our hearts just as he did these religious leaders who were fasting so vigorously unto God. And so look at the text here. He says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So the first thing in Jesus' mouth about fasting is this, don't look like the hypocrites. And so this is what was probably going on when Jesus was talking about this. They were looking on the exterior all bad and drabby, like, oh, we're holy. Don't talk to us. We're fasting. We're more spiritual than you are. And Jesus goes, don't be like them. And some of them, commentators would say, some of them actually were eating while doing that. So get this. They were filling their internal bellies while dressing up on the outside. That is the epitome. That is the definition of a hypocrite. Somebody who will have the external look and appearance yet be filling their bellies with literal food while going, sorry, I'm not eating. But in secret, be feasting on actual food. Now, some of them were probably actually fasting, but what did they want? What did they want everyone to know? They wanted everyone to know how spiritual they were. And so Jesus, out of his mouth here in Matthew 6, verse 16, says this, don't fast to be seen. Don't do it for spiritual recognition. Why? Why not? Well, Jesus tells us, because it reveals the real motivation of the fast. And ultimately, it reveals the real motivation of your heart. He says the real motivation of these people who on the outside, the hypocrites, what they really want is they really want what? The applause of man. They want the recognition under the pretense of loving God. You hear that? And listen, for a church, that is an important message. To be recognized, to be seen, under seen as spiritual, to be seen as deep or whatever we might use, the language we might use here, under the pretense of actually loving God. But the reality is what we hunger for is applause. What we hunger most for is perception, to be perceived as deep. Are we actually deep? And that's what fasting is going to drive into us. Listen, don't fast if you think God is going to love you more because you're fasting. Don't go there. That's what Matthew 6 is saying. And in fact, if you think God is going to love you more by fasting, in and through your fasting, you actually don't understand the gospel. The gospel is this, that in Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are fully loved, you are made whole in him, you are clothed in his righteousness, and God in that very moment loves you wholly and completely. 
A fast is not going to mean that God loves you more. Fast because you want deeper joy, church. Let's fast this week because we want more of the presence of God. So we say no to food temporarily to press deeper into a deeper and deeper longing and joy for what God has for us. And what I mean by for what he has for us is himself. I love the language of David in Psalm 63. One of my favorite Psalms, he starts like this. He says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints. Another word for faints is longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. That's what David wants. I want my soul, my very being, all that I am to long for you. Let me tell you, fasting, biblical fasting, thrusts us into that place to go, I'm going to deny myself food to hunger wholly and completely after you, Lord to lift my voice with the psalmist here to say, I thirst for you more than anything else. I desire you more than I do even food. And my body really desires food. If you've ever fasted, you know what I'm talking about. You see, there's this temptation while fasting also to say, God, I'm fasting. You, you owe me. You'd never say that, but you believe that, right? You ever been there? Or maybe you sacrifice something or you give something up that you feel like the Lord's called you to say, okay, now, Lord, what are you gonna do for me? God, God, you owe me. You owe me a response. And what one author, Andy Crouch, says, that's not biblical Christianity. That's called magic, right? I did this. I pushed this button. I put in this code. I put in this combination, God, and you respond. What does that sound a lot like? I put in this code word. I pushed this button. I sent this message. You deliver it. Sounds a lot like your phone, right? My phone. How often do we treat God like that device? I put this in. I did this. Now you respond to me. You see, if that's our view, then what we're really focusing on is what we're giving up in fasting and not what we're receiving, not what we're gaining. And make no mistake, what we will gain this week as we humble ourselves and seek the Lord in prayer and fasting is we will get a deeper joy. We will get a deeper presence of God than ever before. You say, Kyle, how can you say that? Because that's what the scripture promises. I didn't say you will get every answer to every question you have. I didn't say as you fast, every healing will come that we're praying for. I did not say any of that. What I did say is because the word says this, that you will receive your reward. Look, that's in your text. Look at it. And it's not just said once, it's said twice. So the repeated phrase is when you fast, and then the other repeated phrase in these three verses is this, you will get your reward. On one, it's a negative. If you do it for show, You'll get your reward. You'll get maybe people who will applaud you and think you're deep. The other side of it, if you do it in a humble posture, the Father who sees you in secret will reward you in secret. And the reward, I guarantee you, will be this, more of him. And that's what we actually need. More than you need. And listen, I'm not downplaying your questions. I'm not downplaying your need. I'm not downplaying what you're praying and what you're seeking the Lord for. But what we need more than all of those things is the Lord himself. 
We need his presence. And what fasting does is it, it humbles our hearts to be sensitive to the Lord. If you've ever fasted before like this, you know that there is a sensitivity to every one of your senses, is there not? Like, I walk outside, what do I get? I, I can like smell a hamburger being cooked like 40 streets over. I'm like, who in El Dorado's cooking burgers, you know? Or what I watch or what I see. Or even, even like loud noises, right? There is this way by which God sharpens and, and shapes our, our senses to be sensitive to him. Fasting is this, this outward manifestation of an inward posture of dependence, maybe even repentance. Fasting, lastly, um, fasting has a way of revealing what really controls us. What really controls you and me? Is it really the presence of God? Or is it something else? Is it someone else? Um, Richard Foster, who wrote a book called The Celebration of Disciplines, he says, um, he says, we cover up what is inside of us with food and other good things. But in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it'll be revealed almost immediately. David said in Psalm 69, I humbled my soul with fasting. Go read Psalm 69 this week. David says, you want to know how I get into a humble posture? Through fasting. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to hunger. Then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. There it is. That when Christ reveals what is truly in us, he is also right there to heal us. Heal us with his presence. I share this so that we cannot be freaked out or discouraged by fasting. I share this so that we might prepare. That during this time of fasting and prayer, if we will go on that journey of faith with one another before the Lord, God is going to reveal certain things about your heart and about my heart. What I've noticed about fasting is it's God's testing and proving ground. Right? I've made the comment before where I've snapped off or I've been short and I've just been like, during a fast, and I've just been like, okay, I'll, I'll be better once I eat. That reveals something about my heart. We can see those moments and justify them away or we can fall in humble submission and we can go, okay, Holy Spirit, you're revealing those things to me. You're revealing that I'm actually short with people, right? You can reveal that I am impatient, that I have this that's holding on to me. May 2023 be a year where we have the faith to deal with the issues that are rooted deep in our lives and, and in this church. But like other places in scripture say, Mark 9, Matthew 17, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, only, some things only come about by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, some of your translations, they drop the word fasting in both of those texts. But if you read the scriptures as a whole, you know that that's an appropriate statement by Jesus. Some things only come about when we humble ourselves in a posture before the Lord. See, Jesus knew, um, knew the fight ahead of him. And this is where I get really hung up on the argument, well, Jesus never um, commanded fasting. 
What is the very thing Jesus did before he entered into ministry? Luke 4, Matthew 4. He goes out to a quiet place in the desert. Actually, it says that the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Think about that for a little bit. Drove him out into the wilderness. And what did Jesus do out in the wilderness? You got it. Fasted and prayed. Jesus knew the level of spiritual warfare that was coming. Jesus knew the fight, the cosmic fight that was ahead of him. He could have chosen to do anything on the planet, any spiritual discipline, any habit he wanted, right? But what did he choose to do? He chose to fast. He chose to silence himself in solitude away from everyone else and humbly seek the Father. Last text, um, and I want to invite Sam and Audrey on stage because they're actually going to share and preach the rest of the sermon. That when we fast, we train our spiritual ears to hear the voice of God. Acts chapter 13, this is after the Holy Spirit coming. Look at it in, in your Bible, it'll be on behind me. Acts chapter 13. It says in verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. You see, as, as we pray, as we fast, the Lord will begin to speak through his word. And one of the things that fasting does is it allows us to discern what is the voice of God. God, what are you saying? And as most of you know, Sam and Audrey just returned back from sabbatical, a period where we set aside and set apart to hear the Lord. And so what a better testimony of Acts 13 being alive than these two sharing how the Lord has spoken and is speaking. Hey, <laughs> we've missed everybody. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. Uh, we really have missed everyone. And I uh, want to say thank you to allowing us to go on a sabbatical. This was a, a, such a gift to us. Um, also a gift is when you leave a place and you, uh, you're totally confident that it's beautiful when you leave. And just thanks to the leadership, the, the guys leading here, worship, I just had no doubt it was just going to be beautiful as we're, we're not there. So anyway, that's just very important to us, and we're very thankful. Um, we've been a part of this team since the beginning, and I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget anything. Um, we've been a part of this team since the very beginning. Uh, we sat around a table with, with these guys, Kyle Tess. And Aaron and Holly, whom you know, uh, around a pizza, and we dreamed about starting a church a long time ago. And we had no idea what we are doing, but 12 years later, it's just um, such a gift to be able to look back and see all that God's done and is doing. Um, but we wanted to share with you uh, the story of what the Lord has been doing in us over the last year and a half. Over a year ago, we started feeling... Um, Stirrings of change coming. Didn't know what that meant, but we took note. We sat on it. 
okay, God, what are you doing? Didn't really know what that was connected to, but we, we were praying that God would just give us clarity. Um, that turned into uh, curiosity uh, about a season where we could slow down. Um, but still, uh, we really didn't know what this, this meant for our family, much less for my vocation. Um, I've been doing vocational ministry for 18 years. Before that, I was a super volunteer at my church, and then before that, I was like a child slave of the church. So I've been doing this kind of thing for a long time, and I've loved it. I think God's put it in my heart, um, and, and I've just been so thankful for it. Um, I've loved it, um, but been doing it a long time. This, uh, and, and so during 2022, um, this, this stirring of change persisted, and the focus sharpened. Um, and it was confirmed over our time in sabbatical. We had ample time to pray and seek direction. Um, we still feel such a deep uh, affection and burden for the local church, but at this time we feel like the Lord is saying and directing us to break from full-time vocational ministry for a season. So I'll be, we'll be stepping down uh, from the elder team and from church staff here uh, starting in February. Um, we completely trust God. We completely trust him. We, we trust him with our own life, and we totally trust this church to him and the, and the leadership here. Um, this decision is incredibly difficult for us, incredibly difficult. We have wrestled with God um, because of our love and history with this beautiful community. Um, it's been the greatest honor uh, to be a part of this team since the beginning, and we treasure the work itself and those we've labored alongside for 12 years. It's wild. Um, but as hard as it is, we do feel confident that this is the Lord drawing us to himself. That's what we think is happening. He's drawing us to himself. Um, yeah. We think, we think an extended break is going to be healthy for us, and so we're excited for what God has. Um, there's also a desire to uh, pursue seminary, which that's going to be an aspect of this next season. But this is a really big step of faith for us. Um, the Lord has, he has not yet shown us what's next for us and for our family. And so there, there are no plans at this time to move from McKinney. Um, we'll gladly remain here in this community uh, to Parks Church, which we're excited for, um, until he says something else, so, until he directs us. We're just, this is a, a time where we're entering even more prayer. Um, so that's, that's the part that I really was not excited to share. That's, that is the what. Um, but we want to talk for a second on the how God has been speaking to us, because it's been him. Um, this is not a burnout. This is not angst. Uh, this is not even a lack of desire for a ministry, but this is what we feel an invitation from the Lord. Over the past three years, maybe three or four years, I noticed um, Sam asking a reoccurring question. It wasn't one that he asked often, um, but and it was in the quiet spaces, the safe spaces of our home and our relationship, but he wondered about it enough to make me take note. 
it's these returning questions that one should pay attention to because they are often the questions of the heart. Questions that can only be answered by God and time, and more specifically, time with God. If I could sum up his question or questions, what would my faith look like if I wasn't in full-time vocational ministry? Would it be strong? Would it be weak? Would I relate to God in the same way? What if I no longer felt very useful to him and his kingdom? What if I wasn't useful? How would that affect my relationship with him? My love for him, his love for me. Essentially, I saw the question of Sam's heart to be, am I simply a son, and is this my father, without my doing or accomplishing or working for him? I knew that question of the heart would have to be answered, and as his wife and best friend, I was really excited to see it be answered. Uh, yeah, so much of our... Um desires who we are have been shaped by ministry um, and our lives just kind of have orbited around church stuff and ministry activities and, and, and ministry events which are all good but they're not enough to sustain our souls right and so uh, at the end of the sabbatical I got to go away uh, Audrey allowed me to go away to the mountains for a bit and sit in total quiet and um I got to really wrestle in prayer with God because I'm like, if God, if we're going to do this, if we're going to make this type of decision, I've got to know that it's you. Uh, this can't be anything else but you because we love this place so much. And I wrestled with him and it was quiet. He was quiet. And I was upset. Um, so I was praying one day and I ended up falling asleep, taking a nap, which is biblical. Jesus took naps. And, and, and I woke up, and he said, your desires are good, but they're too small. They center on things that orbit around me. I want, I want your, all of you, I want all your desires to center on me, on him, him. And it was what I needed to hear. That doesn't, it's not the most profound thing. It's just exactly what I needed to hear, that he was inviting me to himself. So what happens when God calls you to himself in the middle of your life, in the middle of your ministry? What happens when God calls you and invites you in the middle of your plans? First, you can simply marvel the fact that he spoke. That's pretty amazing. I'm so expectant for this week of prayer, for this church, for this community. But what happens when you pray prayers and sing songs like we do in this church? Songs to say, God, I just want to be with you. Be in your presence. Focus on him alone. What happens? He answers them. And he wants to give you what you and I need most, and that's himself. And if you let him, God will joyfully show you the pathway to communion with him. This is his purpose for all of us, is communion with him. So I promise you this, it will disrupt your life. It will disrupt your plans.
but this communion is his will for us. And when we say yes to following him, it will cost. Jesus doesn't take you where you want to go. He takes you where he's going. And that is a loving relationship with the Father. Um, because he's a loving father and he knew he was asking Sam and I to go somewhere we didn't want to go and that it was going to be really hard. Um, and his kindness at the beginning of this process, um, he gave me two um, visual images. And I can't remember if it was in a dream or when I was awake, but I want to share one of them with you this morning. And um, we there's this beautiful hillside and a wooden uh, sheepfold, a fence. And there's a, one gate, um, but there's a bunch of us sheep in the sheepfold, which is where sheep should be. And we loved it there. And all of a sudden, we see Jesus, the shepherd, come walking towards the, the fence. And he looks at Sam and I, and he says, come, follow me. And I look around as in my sheep self, and yeah, sure, some of the grass, a lot of the grass has been eaten in the fold, and there's dirt patches, and but there's this whole other section over here with luscious green grass that needs to be eaten, and I look back and I say, but look at all this grass, Jesus. We need to stay a little bit longer. We can help eat this grass. We can maybe even eat it first and then show other people how to eat it. Maybe you should come back later. And in this visual, he smiles, and he says, come follow me. And he opens the gate. And and I looked at Sam. And, and this today, standing before you, um, is us taking one step out of the gate. And even though we don't know where and when precisely the shepherd is taking us, this is our yes to him. Um, so And it doesn't really matter so much where we're going um, because we get to be with Jesus um, on the way and wherever he's taking us. Also good and true news for us and you guys is that our shepherd can be with all of us at once. He can be in the fold where all that beautiful green grass is left. He can be leading me and Sam to an unknown place. He can even be down the hill rescuing a bunch of sheep from a thorn bush. Um, so can I speak to you just for a second about all that beautiful green grass still in the fold, the grass that I wanted to stay and eat? I've um, well, maybe you're, you're brand new here, and maybe you've been here for many years, and you just don't know if it's possible to belong to a place and a people. I've been fed off the grass here for over a decade. Uh, Sam and I went from engaged to newlyweds to young parents of four kids and now a family of six uh, from the time we planted the church to now. And we literally became a family here, but we also learned what it means to be in the family of God here. Some of my closest friends are outside my own generation. They are the most beautiful women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, also in their 20s and 30s. And it's been in community with them and their husbands that I've learned what it means to have brothers in the Lord. And Sam has learned what it means to have sisters in the Lord. This is where Sam and I have become known and learned how to know others, even to the point of our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities. This is where we've remained when it got tough and everything in us wanted to run and find something easier. This is where we've wrestled with difficult theology and contended with our own patterns of sin. 
within the context of a grace given both by God and by his people that is actually more powerful than all of our failings. Um, None of this has happened because we made it happen or because we built something special or because we sat at a pizza joint and decided or because we made a plan and executed it. This church is not inherently any better than all the other churches meeting across the city right now. And if your hope is that it is, you might actually miss her beauty. It's all been grace. It's been a gift received. This church is God's people, his bride, and his body, and it has uniquely been his provision to Sam and I. It's been the provision of cool, thick, green grass given by our shepherd to feed us, his sheep. Um, But there's heaps more provision here to be feasted on. If you're hungry, come to the familial table. Come to the big patch of green grass. Tell your insecurities fueled by pride and shame to leave. Or, better yet, face them head on, maybe with professional help and plenty of prayer and community. And come and feast. And do it side by side with brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers who are equally in need of heaps of grace. Listen to Jesus' prayer to the Father. Um, He prays this right before his death and resurrection. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit's will for his disciples then and for his disciples us today. This is John 17, 20 through 24. So Jesus is praying to the Father. This is within the high priestly prayer before he gives his life for his sheep. Father, I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples on earth at the time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Listen to this communion language. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. That is intimate language. That is family language. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay. That's good. (laughs) Um, To commune with him. To be one with him. To be one with each other. As, As we commune with him, he certainly is going to invite us into the things that he's doing. But we won't do it with striving. We'll do it with joy. Our living then then can and will flow from his heart. Do you feel like you're striving sometimes? I certainly have and do. But I want to warn you, be careful what you pray this week. Uh, he might ask something of you that you didn't expect. He, it might be much bigger than you expected. It also, he also might ask you to do something very small, something that doesn't make sense to you in the moment. And little by little, you'll see that he cares more about you being with him than what you can do for him.
He loves you so much. And he won't share you. He's jealous for you. He's waiting to speak to you this week. And he won't shout over the noise and busyness of your life. He won't compete with that commotion. So instead, we get to follow Jesus' example, which Kyle mentioned. And we get to go to the secret place, the, the lonely place, to be with the Father. And that's precisely what he's inviting us to. That's precisely what he's inviting you to this morning. In that place, he will show you who he is and how much he loves you. What you end up doing will simply flow from that communion. Have you ever asked, God, what am I supposed to do? What am I doing with my life? Nearness to him, proximity to him. Um, that communion, that's, that's where you understand and know that. And you're free to make decisions within that loving relationship with Jesus. Our doing is the outcome of our intimacy. But get ready. It's hard. It's not easy. And the only thing that you can bring with you on this journey is a cross. Um, I did something really stupid about a year ago. I sat down and wrote a song that was a prayer. And it was a really stupid thing to say and to pray for because God heard it. He was actually listening and he answered it. And so I'm going to try to try to play it real quick. Fair warning, my piano playing is like a, some people when they play piano, it's a, like a Hallmark card with a beautiful bouquet. Mine's like a handwritten construction paper card.
church that you get such a picture and a a window into honest pursuit Um, and uh, most of you know Sam's my brother-in-law mostly makes Audrey my sister-in-law this is a weird transition Um, yeah um, there's a guy who loves Jesus it's this guy And so when Sam said, hey, the Lord's leading us, leading me, I said, man, I'm not going to, as much as I want to talk you out of this, uh, there's no talking you out of it because I know you've heard the Lord. And um, this song is a manifestation of his heart, communion. And so it's it's, it's so fitting that we're going to draw near to these tables these tables of communion where, where Jesus in his own life offers that communion to you and me, what Audrey called the familial table. These are the literal tables our family gathers around to eat, to feast upon. And so we are just going to sit in this moment. I know we're taking a few extra, extra minutes this morning. I'm totally okay with that. And, uh, and so, host, will you lead us to this place where we're going to take communion? We'll take it together, but to grab the elements of communion, and we'll, we'll share in this moment together. All right, as these uh, last folks are served, I invite everybody to stand with me. Um, and also, I want to invite the elders and their wives up on stage. 
with us. Um, and we do this, we call it communion for that very reason, to commune with the Father. The way we have communion is, is through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the elders and their wives are joining me on stage because um, after we take communion, we're gonna pray over Sam and Audrey. And it's, this feels a lot like a commissioning, if you've ever been part of a commissioning service, right? Kind of a, I don't know if we can commission to the unknown, but that's what we're doing uh, this, this morning. And um, just the gratefulness and, and uh, um, we have as a community to, to this couple uh, is, is profound. Uh, but but this, is, this is a celebration. And uh, Sam and I were talking about this before service even and just our, our excitement going into a week of fasting and prayer. That the story they just shared, um, I pray is a story shared by all of us, even on Monday. On Tuesday, when we're, when we're feeling maybe physically ourselves wither, spiritually we would, be, we would be growing stronger and stronger because the presence of God is there. It's real and it's moving among our church. And so we take the body, the broken body, together in confidence of Christ. In the same way Jesus said that this cup represents the new covenant, his blood, the way of salvation, we raise the cup of salvation and we take it together, church. And church, the only fitting way to end taking communion is what? Worship, that's right. So we're gonna worship now by laying hands on Audrey and Sam and Jim, one of our elders, is gonna pray over them right now. And so if you would join us in prayer, maybe you'd feel comfortable extending a hand to them. Father. You know, church family, one of the things we get to do in moments of celebration or trial or transition is gather and pray for one another. So let's, let's do that now. Let's go to the Father. beautiful Holy Father, we gather humbly at the foot of your cross, bringing everything that we have, our fears, our insecurities, but our hopes and our dreams too. As we gather around Sam and Audrey, we get to see the miracle of our friends but of your children called to you and we're covered in that blessing. Father, moments ahead in the days and the weeks, let them know your presence even more through conversation, through moments that they would know that they, as they've never been, will never be alone, that you are there always, that you are with all of us always. And that beautiful image that Audrey offered, that you call to us, that we have the courage and the wisdom and the clarity that can only come from you to follow. Father, these, these friends that I love, I lift them up to you, that you may be glorified in the way that you work. Father, let this, uh, let this be a beautiful moment. Then only you can give us a moment that is torn by some heartbreak and some mourning, but lifted up in your glory and your beauty. Father, we thank you. Uh, we just come and praise and thanksgiving for 
what we celebrate today. We look behind us and we thank God for your faithfulness, for all that Sam and Audrey have brought into our lives, into our faith family, the vulnerability, the leadership. Lord, the spiritual leadership as each week, they just brought us, they invited us to come before you, vulnerable and holy into your space through you, through the blood of your Christ. And I thank you for that, Lord, that um, very real invitation each week and how they've poured out their lives and their families in, into our lives. We thank you for that. And because we can look behind and praise you for your faithfulness, Lord, we know that we can look forward in joy. Even with the tension that we feel inside, the grief that we feel, we can look forward in joy because we can behold what you've done and know that you are going to do even greater things than we can ask or imagine. And you tell us you're creating roads in the wilderness, Lord. I heard the word wilderness so many times this morning. And you've shown us wilderness, and you've told us whether to go left or to right. This is the, to the right. This is the way walking it. And you're going to do that for Sam and Audrey. You're going to be clear in your calling. And I just thank you that we get to witness such a beautiful obedience and just such joy in beholding who you are. Not in what we can do for you, Lord, but in who you are, Lord. And that is just such a beautiful witness to us. Let us be encouraged by that. Let us hold them close, God. Call them to our minds in the middle of the night to lift them up to you as we think of them, as we think of their beautiful family, Lord, and all the beautiful things you're going to do in their, in their life. Let us, let us lift them up to you that you keep bringing clarity and keep giving direction and that, God, you, you are their portion. Not, not what you're going to do for them, but you are their portion and their prize, Lord. Let them just rejoice. And let us rejoice for the time that you've given them to us, Lord. We love them, and we thank you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.